And I always felt like an outcast. You know, I always felt that I was a burden to a lot of people and to a lot of my friend groups. Didn't feel like I was good enough. Bought a pornographic magazine from a kid in class in school, you know, in like seventh grade. I was already struggling with a lot of self-esteem issues and, you know, fear of rejection. And it was easy just to fall right into that because it was a good way to just kind of numb everything going on around me. When you're looking at porn every day, you know, for a couple hours a day, that's a problem, but I didn't see it as a problem. You know, I just thought that it was just part of my life, you know, normal. I didn't realize the damage it was really doing to my psyche and to the way I looked at women, the way I looked at relationships, and the way I looked at sex. Today, we are talking about an awkward and uncomfortable topic. This topic is not a popular one to discuss, and many times it is purposely hidden to keep from exposing secrets. It has led so many down the path to sin, adultery, and addiction. There is much pain, shame, and guilt around this topic. It can attach itself to a child and become shackled to that person for the rest of their life. It has been used as a false escape and an unhealthy medication for other hurts in a person's life. This topic is dark, ugly, and it is an ink blot on our society. It touches almost every person in some way, and while it offers pleasure, it almost always delivers destruction. I'm, of course, talking about the topic of pornography. Some people are never able to remove this poison from their lives, and it continues to flow through them like bad fuel through the engine of a car. However, some have had victory over this monster. But how? How can a person purge this poisonous snake from their life? This is the question that I want to ask our guest today as he tells us his life change story. So, hey, friend, why don't you introduce yourself and let the listeners know who you are? Hey, Eric, my name is Jeff, and I have lived in Northwest Arkansas for about 32 years, and I am a recovering porn addict. Why don't you tell the listeners where you grew up, where were you born, and tell us a little bit about your family. Okay. Well, I was born in Little Rock, and I lived in uh, southern Arkansas in a town called England, down in the uh, Cotton Belt. Um, We moved up here when I was in, I believe, third grade. I was about eight or nine. Uh, My mom and dad um, lived down there, and my dad worked for, he was a uh, manager of a shoe factory, and my mom was a school teacher, and uh, they, I think, were married for about a year, and they had me, and then my brother came along about three years after me. Okay, so tell me about a little bit about growing up as a kid in, in that environment. Were you uh, really close with your brother, or did you guys fight like cats and dogs? We spent a lot of time together, so we did fight a lot, but we had a lot of fun together, too. You know, for a while, we didn't get along, but now, I mean, our relationship's really strong. So I think, you know, it kind of ebb and flowed um, as we grew up. And now, you're older. the older brother. I am. Okay, yeah. so did, did if he was here, would he say that he felt like he was living in the shadow of Jeff or or not so much? I would think so. Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, I think a lot of us were different. You know, I, I feel like as the older child, I was always kind of driven to be like the model of, a, of the good kid. And he kind of felt probably a little bit of the opposite. So he kind of went in a different direction where I would, you know, kind of stay inside the lines, he would kind of be outside the lines. You know, I think he did feel a little, you know, I have to live up to or exceed what, you know, Jeff's doing. So so how was your relationship with your dad? Was it good or not so much? It was it was good. I mean, you know, he wasn't our, when I, we lived down in southern Arkansas, he was around a lot more. Um, when we moved up here, he opened up a restaurant 
and he spent a lot of time working. Um, so, you know, 80, 90 hours a week. So that relationship was a little strained. Uh, he wasn't around. He missed a lot of stuff because he was working. But then once he got out of the restaurant business and got into the ministry, he was around a lot more. So that relationship really grew a lot. And he passed away, I believe, seven years ago. And, you know, at that point, we were really close. So how was your relationship with your mother then? Since he was gone, were you close to her? Or We've always been pretty close. Um, she's been in doing recovery through Al-Anon for probably 20 years, probably longer than that. She's been really involved in that. So, you know, growing up, we had a lot of, um, there was a lot of, you know, because she was the only caregiver and she was a disciplinarian and there was a lot of pushback and there wasn't a lot, we didn't get along a lot. And she wasn't a, you know, she wasn't the, but the happiest person. She was mad at my dad. She was mad about the situation. You know, she, she struggled with a lot of stuff. So, you know, she kind of, put a lot of that on us and she learned that from her parents because they could kind of put that stuff on her too. So, you know, there was a long time where the relationship was kind of strained. So you mentioned Al-Anon, mm-hmm. which some of the listeners may not know what that means. So why don't you explain what that is and how that was, um, or how your mom struggled with, uh, what she struggled with? Well, Al-Anon is a recovery group for, um, children, parents, um, siblings, or friends, family of uh, addicts. Um, and my brother had some drug and alcohol issues, and my mother had some, you know, just anger issues and a lot of stuff that she dealt with from childhood that, you know, kind of just was driving the way she acted with us and the way she treated us. And, you know, so that's kind of what she went to that for was, you know, she needed some help to process his addictions, but she also needed help processing a lot of the other baggage and, you know, hurts and habits and hangups that she had developed over, you know, the majority of her life. Once she got into recovery and started, you know, making changes in her life, our relationship started getting really good. So what was it like in school for Jeff? Were you an outgoing person? Were you a rule follower or were you a rebel? Tell us a little bit about your school experience. Well, when I was, uh, before we moved up here, I, I, I was kind of a little bit of a rebel. I seemed to get in trouble a lot. My mouth would get me in a lot of trouble, and that continued on. I, a lot of people have a filter. Sometimes mine doesn't work properly. Um, I, I think a good example, when I was in first grade, I dropped the F-bomb in class, and uh, it was a little bit different time down in southern Arkansas. They uh, believe in corporal punishment. So I do remember uh, you know, some, some, my mouth getting me in trouble. Um, when we moved up here, being – the fact that we moved was difficult. And then the fact that, you know, things weren't the same as they were. Money was tight. Instead of being a you know middle-class family, we moved kind of down into a poor kind of family. And we lived in a more upscale area of Fayetteville. And I always felt like an outcast. Um, so my outgoingness kind of started to turn into the opposite of, you know, coming back to myself and, you know, spending a lot of time alone. Um, so that was you know, kind of difficult. So school was difficult because, you know, I always felt that I was a burden to a lot of people and to a lot of my friend groups um, and just didn't feel like I was good enough. And, you know, there were some, some things that happened that kind of drove home that, those feelings. Um, And a good example would be um, one of my earliest kind of hurts was um, I asked a girl out one time in school and this was back before the internet and cell phones where you had to actually call somebody at their house and, you know, 
he talked to him on the on the phone and and then the next day at school she basically told everybody in the whole class that I called her and basically told me I was worthless and wouldn't she never date somebody like that and that really kind of set a precedent for me being scared of putting myself out there in a lot of areas and I was already kind of feeling that way but that kind of was one of those nails that just kind of drove home that you know you're not good enough you know you're never going to be good enough for you know to really for people to appreciate you as a person and uh that that's something i've struggled with and i still kind of struggle with today so sounds like that kind of spoke to your identity and who you thought you were and sometimes rejection can make us feel that way so so did you have any god moments you mentioned faith earlier um were your parents christians did you guys go to church regularly and when did you have a god moment in your life as a child or maybe it wasn't as a child i don't know some of my fondest memories as a kid were going to church um you know, my dad would go, um, my mom would go, she was in the choir, she was really active, and she still is today, she spends a lot of time doing that. Um, I'd, I'd say, you know, God has always been a part of my life. Um, I think probably when I was 12 or 13 um, is when I, you know, accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. Did you see your mom and dad give e- each other a lot of affection? I mean, was it obvious that they loved each other, or how did that go? It was, but they didn't spend a lot of time together because they were both doing working a lot, but uh, they loved each other. I mean, I could tell and, you know, physical affection is really not something that was big in our family. You know, my mom, she's a hugger, but my dad was, you know, he's kind of keep the, you know, stay out of my bubble and I'm kind of the same way, not as much now, but you know, for a long time I was. So, you know, my brother's the same way, you know, getting a hug out of him is difficult. My mom's been struggling with that for years, but you know, it, there was love, but there wasn't a lot of physical affection shown. So what did uh, you do after high school? Did you go directly into the workforce or did you go to college? Well, I, I attempted to go to college. Um, one of the things I struggle with is kind of knowing what I want to do with myself. And I, I knew I wanted to go to college. I, I thought that was what I needed to do. I, you know, So my grades were decent enough. I got into the University of Arkansas um, and then basically... I had no direction. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. I got, I was like, well, I'll be a history major. I like history a lot, you know, war history and stuff like that. I'll, I'll do that, you know, but I didn't, I was being a teacher didn't seem like something I wanted to do. So I really didn't have a direction. So I made it the first year I, I passed one class my first semester and that was freshman orientation. Um, eventually I got kicked out for, uh, for grades. They, you know, academically, academically suspended me for a little bit. Um, I went into the workforce, started working. Uh, I was stocking shelves at a Walmart and then going to school part-time. Um, and then I eventually got back into school, uh, didn't really do too good on grades, got kicked out again, uh, went back to going part-time and working full-time. Um, and eventually after, you know, three or four years of, you know, I just kind of gave up on it and just started working. So you mentioned in your introduction that you are a porn addict. So you didn't mention yet anything happening as a youth. Did it start whenever you were young or did that come later? Um, It started when I was probably, I'd say, 11, 12. Um, I started just innocently, you know, I was attracted to females. And, you know, I remember, you know, underwear ads were kind of like the thing that kind of started that thing but instead of just looking at them you know I'd, I'd cut them out of magazines and I'd save them which was weird I, I vaguely remember being exposed to pornography when I was really young um, in a neighborhood like a little clubhouse kind of deal 
you know, in a neighborhood and that's some in somebody's backyard. I remember seeing pornography for the first time, but the first time I was actually, you know, exposed to it, I bought a pornographic magazine from a kid in class in school, you know, in like seventh grade. And then at that point, I mean, it, you know, I was already struggling with, you know, a lot of self-esteem issues and, you know, fear of rejection and from a lot of, you know, being rejected. So it was, it was easy just to fall right into that because you know, there was no, no in that. And that, you know, I, I felt, I, I found a lot of comfort in that um, because it was a good way to just kind of numb everything going on around me. You know, I spent a lot of time and money on that and, you know, I, I don't, I didn't think it was a problem. I just thought it was what men do. And I didn't realize the damage it was really doing to my psyche and to the way I looked at women, the way I looked at relationships and the way I looked at sex. You know, I'm still working to kind of reprogram the damage that it's done even, you know, 40 years later, 30 years later. So, so give me a little bit of context. So whenever you got out of high school, you said you went to college for about a year mm -hmm. or so, and then you dropped out mm -hmm. and went into the workforce. Mm -hmm. Were you working, um, you know, what was your, did, did the pornography become, uh, where you're using it more regularly or, uh, when did you start realizing, gosh, you know, this is a problem in my life? Um, I was probably in my thirties when I started probably later, you know, mid thirties when I started realizing it was a problem. I just, you know, I was in the assumption that it was something that I just did. You know, everybody, you know, everybody I knew, you know, a lot of the guys I knew in high school, you know, they looked at porn, you know, uh, everybody I, you know, a lot of people I knew did it. You know, I just didn't think it was out of the normal and especially with society today. I mean, it's everywhere. I mean, sex is everywhere. And, you know, I just thought that it was just normal that, you know, that's what, you know, men do is look at porn. But, you know, when you're looking at porn every day, you know, for a couple hours a day, that's a problem. But I didn't see it as a problem. You know, I just thought that it was just part of my life, you know, normal. So where was God in all this? Because you, you said you accepted Christ when you were 13. So oh. as you were as you were becoming an adult and then you get into the workforce, mm -hmm. now you just said, well, it was just normal. It was just I thought this was what everybody was doing. Do you, did you, were you going to church? Did you, did you have any indicator that, you know, well, maybe, maybe not everybody does it and maybe I shouldn't be doing it. I mean, how, where was the moral compass there? Well, um, once I got out of high school and moved off on my own, I, you know, God was there, but he wasn't there. You know, I, I pretty much put my relationship with God on the back burner. I didn't go to church. You know, I just basically did what I wanted to do. And that was, you know, chase after women. And, you know, whenever that didn't work, porn was what I used to, you know, medicate that disappointment. So, I mean, I spent a lot of time doing that. And God was there, but he just, you know, I, I always said I believe in God, but I ignored the fact that what I was doing was sinful. You know, I just, I just did it. And, you know, he was there, but I, he, I wasn't listening to anything he said. And it took a long time for me to finally get to that point where I started to listen. Well, let me ask you this. When did things start turning and walk me through the events of that? I mean, was there a moment in time that you said, okay, this is wrong and I need to stop doing this. I need help. I mean, to walk me through that in your life. So... I got into the workforce and I worked um, some odd jobs. I worked for the University of Arkansas for about five years, but I always wanted to be a police officer. And that was something I really wanted to do. Um, I, to some of my earliest memories of, you know, that would be fun. So I finally got into law enforcement when I was in my mid twenties and I was, I did that. I was, you know, worked for a couple agencies and 
I got to a point I just gotten out of a really bad relationship. Two actually really bad relationships kind of stacked on top of each other. And basically, you know, I was just at a, I was at a low. Uh, I was at an extreme low. Um, you know, I had no self confidence. I, I was just, I was miserable. And um, I remember it clearly. One of my friends was, hey, uh, another police officer friend of mine. We talked a lot about because he was struggling with some mental health issues also. And I remember one night he called me and he's like, hey, man, I'm going back to school. And I was like, cool, where are you going back to school? He's like, I'm going to go to John Brown University. They've got a you know degree completion program. You can get it done in 18 months. And I was like, you know, that's, that's interesting. So, you know, I was just at a, a broken point in my life. I needed something. And I knew, now I look back at it, and I know God need, knows I needed something to kind of shake me loose and push me in the right direction. So, you know, I was like, that's a, you know, it just kind of started the wheels turning in my head. And so, you know, I decided I'm going to do it. You know, that's something I was always disappointed in myself that I never completed school in the first place. And I was looking for a change because I just, I felt stuck. You know, my life, my personal life was in shambles. My work life wasn't really that great at that point because a lot of my personal issues had kind of bled into my work. And, you know, I just, I, I didn't feel like I, I felt stuck. So, you know, I took this opportunity as an opportunity and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I signed up the next week and I went to school and, you know, that really started to kind of rekindle my relationship with God and started kind of pushing me to where I'm at today. Um, through that, I was able to get my, you know, go back to school. I got my bachelor's degree and then ended up going and get my master's degree. And that pushed me to look outside of, you know, law enforcement's been fun, but I need something else in my life. You know, what am I going to do now? You know, and God gave me an opportunity to go work for the company I work for now. And, you know, during this time, my relationship got better and better with God, but I was still using porn as an escape because I just, you know, didn't know better. And I was, at this point, my anxiety and depression issues had really started to spiral out of control also. And I don't think I've told you about that, but yeah, you know, I, I struggled a lot with that. And a lot of it was, you know, relationship based. Those relationships that had ended badly had really kind of really hurt and really kind of pushed me to isolate myself. Um, so, you know, I was just, I wasn't, I was broken and I needed something to kind of shake me loose. So that moved me in the right direction. So you mentioned you were broken and that your personal life was in shambles. Mm -hmm. And so you haven't mentioned any events or anything that maybe caused that. You mentioned some broken mm -hmm. relationships and so forth. So maybe give me what, what, led you to that path of being broken? What, where it led you to the conclusion that, hey, my life is in shambles? Was it through personal relationships? Or tell me about that. I think a lot of it is a personal relationship because, you know, those hurtful relationships that ended badly because I always felt that if I could find, you know, a, a girl and, you know, find a happy relationship and get married, I wouldn't need pornography to make it through the day. You know, I wouldn't need that as, you know, something – to support my, you know, my lustful needs and my, you know, sexual wants, you know, cause marriage is, you know, you're married. You don't have to worry about that stuff. I can turn that off once I'm married, but I was also scared of being rejected because I had been rejected. And I, a lot of, most of the relationships that I'd started with were all based on sex. They weren't really based on finding somebody that I was compatible with and enjoyed spending time with. It was basically, well, they're pretty and they're interested that's all I need, you know? And then, you know, these relationships were built on terrible ground and they'd fall apart. And, you know, the people that I was going after were broken. I was broken. And the whole saying broken people hurt broken people. I mean, it was just that endless cycle. So basically 
I'd have these, you know, a relationship, it wouldn't last long or last long and then fall apart. And then, you know, or I'd start feeling that they weren't the right person. So I'd try to find ways out of it. And eventually I just got to the point where it was easier for me to hurt them before they hurt me. So most of our relationships were, you know, get in, get what I wanted out of it and then break it off before they could, you know, hurt me again because I was just so scared of being hurt. And then once that was over, I would go into an isolation phase. And I'd basically isolate myself from pornography and just push away from everything because I was scared to get back into that again. So, and, and sometimes those isolations would last a year, two years before I was ready to go back out there, but it just kept on doing the same cycle and it wouldn't change. And, you know, I think what finally made me realize that it needed to change was the last relationship I was in. And this has been over three years ago. Um, and this was actually, it ended a year before I started really focusing on recovery. Um, but you know, it, it was so toxic because it was basically, you know, I, I mean, I met this woman and we jumped into, into bed together the first time we ever met in person. That's not healthy. And as I look back on it, it was crazy. And, you know, she was in a really bad spot. I was in a bad spot. I mean, I was not a happy person. I was, you know, I was. 80 something pounds heavier than I am now. I, I was not exercising. I, I couldn't sleep at night. You know, I was just, I was miserable and I spent most of my time isolated at home. And then I got into this relationship and it was so toxic. And just once I was able to end that relationship, I just, I mean, I had to physically push her out of my door to get her to leave. That's how much that it just, it was so broken. And that, that really kind of made me realize, you know, you've got some things you need to fix. You've got some problems you need to address, but I didn't know how to do that. And I had been to celebrate recovery a little bit before I met her. Um, but I really, I knew I had some, you know, I was like, you know, I could probably stop looking at porn, but I wasn't ready to do that yet. I still was in my delusion about that. But, you know, after that relationship, I just kind of, I isolated from the world basically for about a year. I didn't really talk to my friends I didn't really do anything. I mean, that most of the time me leaving the house was going to get food. That was about it. Or the things I needed to survive. The rest of the time I was sitting there watching TV or sleeping because I was just so, I don't know, broken or just scared of the world and just, you know, that I needed a change. And I think that's that final relationship was what kind of pushed me in the right direction. But it took me another year after that to finally say, Hey, you know, I need to, I really need to make these changes. And, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And, you know, one of my friends who was in celebrate recovery said, Hey man, my stepsetter group's graduating. And I was like, he's like, you need to come. And then I went and, you know, I just, I, I felt like this was, a, it was a place I needed to be because I needed something. I needed a change. And, you know, I was resistant to that change for, uh, I think for like four months I was going, but I wasn't really going. I was just kind of showing up because I felt pulled to be there, but I didn't really, I wasn't ready yet to really give in to changing. But finally God gave me an opportunity, you know, just, he made me not want to be that same person again. And then after that, it was off to the races. So describe to me the change. What did you do to start creating change in your life? Well, I think for me, the first change I made was stop looking at pornography and to get that out of my life. But that was so ingrained in my life. It was something that I 
couldn't do on my own. And God helped me with this. And I didn't, at the time I didn't realize he was doing it. And I was already kind of in that recovery mode. I wasn't in a step study yet, but I was already, you know, I was going to, to the, to the meetings and, you know, I wasn't going to open chair or anything like that. I was just going to the service, you know, kind of dipping my toes in it. But, you know, I, God opened that door and I just felt the pull to jump in and actually surrender and say, you know, I'm done trying to fix my life and do everything on my own. I'm giving you the wheel now. You've already shown me that, you know, you can open these doors. I just got to accept that you're giving me an out. And I took that out. I think what it came down to is I wanted to be the best version of myself. And I knew that I couldn't do that if I had porn weighing me down. And so I made the decision to stop doing it. And it was, it's been a struggle. I mean, I still struggle with the internal sobriety a lot, you know, the lustful thoughts and stuff like that. But externally I was able to cut that out of my life and, and, you know, going through a step study was amazing. I met, you know, my sponsor has been really helpful. He's kind of pushed me to, you know, to jump into kind of a leadership role and, you know, being able to, you know, to see other guys that struggle and see that it's possible to be happy without, those things that you thought you needed to be happy. I thought I needed, you know, a sexual relationship to be happy or a pornography to be happy. And I don't, you know, as long as I have God in my life and I'm happy with who I am and I'm continuously working on myself, it's easy for me to be happy. All that other stuff will fall into place. If I just trust that God will do what he wants needs to do for my life when it needs to be done. And that was something that for a long time I could not wrap my brain around. I just thought that I, I have to make, I have to control everything. But once I kind of gave up a little bit and just surrendered, it, it, things have just kind of fallen into place on their own. And it's, it's amazing because I can look back on it and be like, wow, you know, if this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have gotten to this point. If this hadn't happened, I wouldn't have gotten to this point, you know, kind of going back to the school thing. If I had gone back to school, I wouldn't end up where I'm at for work. I wouldn't have met my friend, Matt, who was sitting in the desk next to me that had been going to celebrate recovery. You know, when, you know, it's just, it's amazing how those little corrections in life that you don't think are important have such a big impact down the road. And it's, it's amazing what God can do. So let me ask you, how long have you been sober from pornography? Uh, I celebrated two years in June. And that is fantastic. It's amazing. So God has obviously made a change in your life. Um, how do you stay sober? How do you continue to uh, reject the lies from the enemy? How, what would you, you know, how, what would you say is the key to your success? Well, I found a lot of keys, but I think the the main important key is, you know, relying on God. I, I think if God wasn't part of the equation, I, I wouldn't be where I'm at. Um, you know, and a lot of that is, you know, I, I try to focus on daily to quiet time. That's, you know, helps a lot. Um, now that I've started focusing on being the best version of myself, I've been able to, you know, make a lot of positive changes that have benefited my health and my health is better. So I sleep better. You know, my anxiety is controlled. I'm no longer on medication for that. Um, you know, I, I deal with that. I deal with it, but I know how to process it. And I know that it's just, it's a small little blip and it's just a a hurdle I have to get over with. But if I don't have God in my life, then I can't get over those hurdles and I rely on him a lot, you know, and a lot of this is a daily prayer. And just, you know, if, if I'm feeling triggered, if I'm feeling, you know, you know, if I'm having, you know, lustful thoughts, immediately it's just, I go to him, you know, and it's just not even, 
basically it's, you know, say, Hey God, man, I'm struggling. You know, I just, I, if I keep that connection, it's a lot easier for me not to fall back into my old habits and let the, those things creep back in. I think for me, I could go back to pornography in a heartbeat if I wanted to. So I can't let, I have to monitor what I watch. I, I think for me, my biggest struggle is that internal sobriety of seeing, you know, lustful thoughts. And I struggle with that a lot, but I don't act on those because I know that if I do, I'm going to fall back into those old patterns and I don't want to go down that road again because this is not who I am. And another way that I've really helped is just being involved um, through Celebrate Recovery um, this is awesome. I've really had an opportunity to jump into the leadership kind of areas, you know, I, but I also have people that rely on me to stay sober also. And I want to do that for them because I feel like God's helping me in their lives. And I don't want to, I don't want that to stop. I want to continue to do that. So how important is community? I think it's extremely important. You have to have people to rely on because if you don't, who are you going to turn to? Sometimes you just need somebody you can say, Hey, Hey man, I, I need somebody to talk to, or you got to be able to get that stuff out. You know, I've got so many people that, you know, if I'm struggling, they're a phone call away. And I know that. And it, I take comfort in knowing that I'm not alone in the process. Don't feel like you have to go at it alone because if you go at it alone, you're not going to get anywhere. But if you go at it with God and you find some people that you can rely on to help get you through that storm, the sky's the limit. Thanks, Jeff, for sharing your story with us today. Hey, if you are listening today and this topic of pornography has brought up some bad feelings for you, maybe someone that you love has recently been caught in this addiction, or maybe even you struggle with this issue. The enemy wants you to believe that it's just normal behavior and that there is really no problem at all. Maybe you realize that there is a problem but you haven't been able to fix it on your own and you feel there is no hope for recovery. That's a lie. I personally have had 13 years of sobriety over pornography. However, I had to admit that I had a problem. I had to allow God into this area of my life and allow him to take me through a process of healing. Jesus said in Mark 2:17, healthy people don't need a doctor sick people do. I have come to call not those who think that they are righteous, but those who know that they are sinners. If you are struggling with this issue, I want to encourage you to step out of denial and allow God to change you. Change is possible. However, if nothing changes, nothing changes. See you next time.